This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Camilla Marcus, owner of Westbourne in Manhattan. Camilla is a founding member of two new advocacy groups fighting for government relief and reform. One is the Independent Restaurant Coalition, the other is ROAR, Relief Opportunities for All Restaurants. Listen in now to hear what these organizations stand for, why they matter to Camilla, and what she's doing to take care of her Westbourne team. Camilla's ideas are compassionate, industry-leading, and she's one of the best around at explaining policy and laying out a blueprint for the future. We will be back tomorrow with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Camilla Marcus. Camilla, hello. Hi. You have been busy uh, rallying the troops, doing a lot of organizing. You are a founding member of a group called ROAR, R-O-A-R. Could you tell our listeners what ROAR stands for and what you guys are about? Yes. So we are relief opportunities for all restaurants and formed, obviously, in the wake of this massive pandemic that, as we're starting to see very clearly, is hitting uh, New York and the U.S. the hardest. Uh, and the, the real goal was rallying around state efforts. So New York City Hospitality Alliance, you know, their wheelhouse and their focus is really with Mayor de Blasio's office at the city level. Um, the Independent Restaurant Coalition, IRC, was formulated um, at the national level, which I'm also a founding member of. Um, and we decided to take the stance of really thinking about the state. And, you know, part of it came out of, as an industry, we have never really been well organized. We just haven't. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We're all very, uh, you know, unique and independently owned. But this is a time that really needs coordination and an entire village with a voice and also came out of the fact that, you know, airlines, hotels and cruises were invited to Washington, to the White House to sit down and talk through and be part of the relief bill. And when it was very clear that, you know, restaurants employ 15 million people across the country were amongst the top employers nationwide as a collective business and two thirds are independently owned. The fact that we don't have a seat at the table is a problem. And we are there trying to work at the state level to hopefully prevent what's an inevitable recession turning into a really dire depression. Has it become clear that, I mean, those industries were all at the table, I believe, because they have lobbyists. They have people who Correct. do this. They have people who get them in the doors. For a long time. For a long time. It's deeply entrenched. Independent restaurants do not have lobbyists. I would imagine McDonald's has its own lobbyist, but... Have not. So chains have been included... But most chains are public, and having public access to capital makes weathering this a totally different scenario. Um, and I think so. We have engaged a lobbyist at the IRC level, and you know, my personal sincere hope is that that effort continues long after we're on the other side of this, because we're too big of a collective employer, despite how disaggregated ownership is. We're too large. Um, you know, the hashtag "too small to fail" is really ironically, almost not true. We are too small to fail, but collectively we're too big to ignore. And I think that this is the time. It's a heartbreaking hashtag. The first time I saw it, I got, I got very choked up, too small to fail. Um, so I want to talk about this lobbyist. Well, that, that was the, the point uh, is yeah. to make people realize, you know, this <laughs> is structural. Yeah. It's structural and it's massive and it's not, you know, the word kind of small business, I think gets thrown around a lot, but, you know, 15 million people employed who, 
you know, we gathered and organized Roar last Wednesday morning. And within five hours, we had 30 operators, owners, not their, you know, not people who work for them, the actual owner on the phone. We agreed on all the points that we put on our petition and we posted it that next morning, which shows you how much we are aligned and how urgent the situation is. And it really came out of that weekend up until that Tuesday, everyone I know across the restaurant business was doing mass layoffs and no one was reporting on it. It had not hit unemployment numbers. And it was very clear that this structural fracture um, really was not being paid attention to and made us all, like I said, very afraid for the larger economy and public. Just to, to frame the calendar a little bit here, the dates you're talking about are, are Tuesday and Wednesday, March 17th and, and 18th. This will we'll run at a bit of a, a later date. Hopefully things will have evolved in terms of relief by that point. I'm really interested in this idea that you guys do now have a lobbyist on the case for the first time. For the first time, the IRC. How is this person doing? Who is this person? Who is, the, who is this magical um, lobbyist? They are... Um, they were brought on actually. So Andrew Chasen, who's from CAA, a talent agency in Los Angeles, assembled a pretty large swath of restaurateurs um, and people and in leaders in the industry, uh, frankly, across the country and together found a lobbyist who, how do I think they're doing? I think tremendous in a very short amount of time. And they even said to us, we have never seen a group organize um, so quickly and so passionately and so streamlined. You know, she said to see so many different businesses, whether you're, you know, one store operation like myself, you know, versus Kevin Bame, who has many restaurants in Chicago, all across the country. And we are all saying the same exact thing. Our support for where the relief, you know, the relief bill should go is identical. That's extraordinary. I, I think the restaurant industry is is more like-minded than many other industries. It's just a matter of joining all these forces together in a formal way for the first time. You've seen this community build in a more positive light over the last five to ten years through things like, you know, food festivals. But this is a little bit more urgent. Roar has a whole list of, of things they're hoping to achieve. Can you take me through some of the top items and, and explain why they're important? Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, our plea is to double the state unemployment benefit immediately for all furloughed and laid off workers. Again, I don't, the unemployment numbers that are being reported today also are still not fully baked. The site was crashed last week and they've staggered um, applications based on name throughout the next couple weeks. Um, so the challenge is, again, the numbers aren't there yet. What we all know to be true, which is the vast majority of employees in this industry were laid off in mass. Um, a lot without any safety net, some with benefits, some not with benefits. But the but the bigger issue is unemployment only today covers 50% of your wages. But if you are a minimum wage worker or in and around that, half of that is not livable, especially in a place like New York. So immediately our people are put in a very, very vulnerable position almost overnight. And our goal, you know, like I said, is first and foremost to wake up the state government to Governor Cuomo to see that that absolutely cannot be the case or we're in for, again, much bigger trouble than the health crisis is already causing. What else besides the, the doubling? Yeah. And then following that, you know, the the next situation is, OK, so if this large 
community is unemployed, if we can get them to a level of sustenance through unemployment benefits being increased, then the question is, how long are they going to be employed for? And the backstop to that is these businesses have to be able to reopen. So they have to remain solvent during the shutdown. Um, and we have to figure out a way to get as many open as possible so that those individuals can be rehired and have jobs to go back to. Again, it's all about people. This is this is a human crisis more than anything. And so a number of the rest of the measures on our petition are outlining ways that we believe that these companies can remain solvent because ultimately right now there's no sales or limited sales. You know, I know that the government thinks they're floating sales by allowing pickup and delivery, but we all know that that's not true. Um, there's no sales and there's massive amount of expenses still to be paid, rent, utilities, whether or not your doors are open, you know, in addition, again, we talked about, you know, payroll and benefits, but you have all these other expenses. You know, the irony here being we are such a slim margin business because we've been so heavily over-regulated by government at every level, federal, state, and city, which is the reason that we don't have cash buffers and cash reserves in order to float these next couple of months. And yet the government has, has been absent, has been largely absent in how we're supposed to participate in this relief or what measures we're supposed to take. So again, if you have insolvency across the industry, then that unemployment becomes structural and again, could lead to a depression. So the next focus is really on figuring out, you know, things like figuring out business interruption insurance, there are some you know, gray areas with that that need to be clarified by the governor. Things like sales and payroll tax, uh, rent abatement is another big one. Every one of us is negotiating one for one with our landlords and no one knows what to do. Landlords don't know if they're gonna get forgiveness on their mortgage interest payments. Tenants can't pay, you know, there's no income. So there's no income and there's no cash reserves. And regardless, you know, it seems highly inequitable to have people pay who can't actually operate those businesses. So and again, we all can't make income. The business and more importantly, our people, I think what was really apparent last week was every other business was told work from home. And that was clear across the country. But what about 15 million people that literally cannot work from home, cannot make an ancillary income from home, and can't get another job because we all know we're headed for a recession guaranteed. So what do you want all those people in those businesses to do? I was talking to one restaurant operator the other day, and she was, uh, you know, talking to her her landlord about some possible rent relief. And the landlord said they would litigate if rent was late. Most are taking very hard positions. I know a lot of landlords, mine included, who said, "Well, if you have to leave, we'll figure it out." And but again, you have to realize so much of that is because there's no clarity, there's no direction. No one wants to be the precedent setter. No one knows what to do. You know, what do they say to their bank? I mean, if they don't make their interest payments, you know, what do they say to their bank? So that's an issue. And even more so, the messaging in New York, you know, I can't speak to other cities and states. The messaging has been so opaque, confusing, and mixed. And so even as, you know, as of last Friday in communicating with landlords, myself and restaurateurs that I know, they, I don't think the intensity of the situation was really captured. And I think, you know, this messaging around, oh, but you're doing delivery and takeout, you should be fine. That messaging's coming from the city, you know, and that messaging's coming from the state. And I don't think they're saying, hey, this business is literally lights off. And that message has not been clear. And so it's also really, I think, 
it does not behoove the government at this point to leave, you know, all of us in a pen to figure it out one by one. It's it's totally destructive. And again, it's taking time away from bigger issues like taking care of our teams and figuring out what to do about, you know, business solvency, as well as, by the way, you know, protecting our health. We haven't even talked about, you know, the thing that pains me is I, I saw this morning. So Senator Rand Paul today, they announced he tests positive and the Senate shuts down, yet we're telling restaurateurs to put their teams in harm's way. How is that okay? You're telling an entire industry of largely minimum wage workers to put themselves at physical harm, to put their health at risk because we don't have appropriate testing. How is that fair? You know, all these people don't want to be don't want to be infected or spread the virus, yet our industry is supposed to be magically okay. That messaging and that inequity is also very painful and not okay for me. I, I agree with you. I mean, sending the message that, you know, you senators are taken care of, go home, you restaurant workers, we don't know what to do with you. Let's just not talk about it, that it's not yeah. um, the right way to approach any of this right now, especially for millions of people, especially millions of jobs on the line. And as of last week, I mean, messaging from around the city and in New York was still, oh, support your local restaurant, eat out, go pick up. I mean, there were three days ago, 30 people outside of a bar in my neighborhood taking to go cocktails. It's like, that's not, <laughs> I think the intensity and especially the spread and, you know, the, the cases in New York and the situation that we are in. Um, I don't think the severity is really being captured at a government messaging level. And I think that's making these one for one negotiations and and us being able to flatten the curve nearly impossible. The the challenge here is we don't have testing. And so you're really just putting everyone into health risk. And, you know, for all we know, further spreading COVID-19. And so that's really the issue. It's really the lack of testing which has effectively shut down. And that was the call we made was, I don't feel comfortable telling our team come in harm's way for work. That's, you know, when everyone else is sheltering in place, I'm supposed to tell you come to work. That just does, I can't look myself in the mirror and do that. Right. Tell me about your team. Tell me how many people you employ at Westbourne and, and tell me what's going on with them right now. So we're about 30. Um, right now, we've kept everyone engaged and on board. We're on a two-week by two-week plan. Honestly, it was day by day for the past three weeks. Just, again, the messaging from government's been so confusing and unclear. And I think no one really knows what they're supposed to be doing in the short and long term. So it's one of the benefits, frankly, of being smaller is that, you know, on a scale, we can. It's not the same as saying, I'm going to keep you know, 5,000 employees all at once. Um, but the landscape's changing every single day. You know, thankfully at Westbourne, we've always been focused on our team first, always been focused on health and wellness as a core tenant of our of our value system. And so we're doing our mindful minutes, which is our our meditation that we do as a group. We do it remotely. How do you, um, how do, you do it? Time. Everybody Zoom, Zoom or call? Yeah. Yeah. And our head of people and culture has been leading it. You know, we've been doing a lot of training and education um, and certification programs from afar and remotely. Um, and we're trying to what keep... What kind of training and certification can be done remotely? 
So we do a lot of station training and testing that is not necessarily practical, i.e. watching someone do something. It's testing and learning. So things like wine training you can do remotely. You can do things like coffee certification. We work on, um, you know, at this point, people can learn a lot more about DOH compliance. I mean, there's so many things actually we laugh, we've sort of instantly turned Westbourne into a remote school. Um, again, learning and development and personal growth has always been so core to what we do. And so we activated very quickly to say, you know what, to have to not have service to tend to, this is the time to really double down, at least for now, on that. And hopefully that's a better place to channel our energy and our anxiety that's certainly, you know, unstable right now. So your your staff of 30 are still currently employed and are spending this time being educated. Correct. And you can do that for the time being. For the time being, correct. And again, you know, I was on the phone. One of the big things that Roar is also working around, you know, right now the immediate need is advocacy because these bills and the executive orders are only going to go so long. So time-wise, that had to be the first piece. But in tandem, you know, I've been working really hard on behalf of Roar with the Robin Hood Foundation. And our next step is really how do we create structured relief? Because right now, it's great that every restaurant's trying to do something for themselves. But this industry really, and again, especially in New York that's being hit hardest, really needs a central relief source that we can do a proper capital campaign towards and actually be able to tell our teams, hey, this is where you can go for help and financial assistance. Um, So we're working double time every single day on that as well. And, you know, that's another really important piece, I think, of the puzzle. Um, And something that, you know, Robin Hood, they're working as hard as they can. And they said, just like you did, the challenge here is this is totally unprecedented. And we've never faced also um, such an ominous situation that has no end date. You know, you look at, they're really trying to pull playbooks from Sandy and 9-11, but those are finite incidences. They're horrific and the scale is tremendous, but they're, it was over within a certain amount of days to the point that then you could really put all your eggs behind relief. But like you said, the challenge here is we are in the, we are in the triage as much as we are the relief phase and we have no window into how long that's going to be. And that's really the the damage. What's really different to me about those those events versus now is those things happened and they were awful, but we were allowed to be together almost immediately afterwards. You know, Sandy was not a hurricane that battered the city for weeks. It did in its own way, but physically the storm happened and then the sun came out, right? I mean, here we're inside. We're not around each other. Well, and the threat remains real. Again, you know, like you said, we don't have testing. We can't say, hey, every restaurant, as long as you're testing negative for COVID, you can still keep your job and work. We can't even offer that. There's no safe environments. And, you know, and to your point, too, how do you lead a team remotely when you want to be there for them in a real physical way? I mean, it's it's so this is a challenge like we've never faced before. And I think it'll test every single one of us as to the humans that we want to be. And, you know, that we just have no clue the duration and the duration and the lack of clarity and structured response from the government is what has led to really a very scary situation. I am moved that you've been able to not only keep your, your staff employed, but also engaged. How much time are you guys spending together online on a daily basis? How much time are you spending talking to those 30 people? So we starting about 
two weeks ago, Monday, um, we started having daily calls as management and I gave everyone an update. So my father works in the life sciences. And so I'm thankful I have sort of a real window into what is actually happening health wise, um, well before sort of that gets pushed down through government channels. And so we were talking through every single day updates. And last Sunday, before the mandated shutdown, I decided to close. Like I said, it became very clear that we had a real risk of becoming Italy and that measures were not tight enough. And so I decided, you know what, I don't feel safe. And therefore, I can only imagine how unsafe our team feels. And therefore, we're closing. We closed 5 p.m. last Sunday. Um, full stop and worked as a team to shut everything down so that everyone could be able to be at home like the rest of the country um, with the family or, you know, the friends that they have to be able to to shelter at home and not spread it and to feel, you know, as safe as you possibly can. So then we quickly um, moved to, you know, I, as you know, I, I kind of like to use whatever humor silver linings are possible. But I said, now you get to see how the other half lives. We're going to run a Monday through Friday, nine to five regular schedule. So now you're going to, you know, your work schedule now becomes like the rest of most American jobs. Um, you're going to have a weekend and, you know, the goal is to really stay as focused as we can. I think for me, the best thing is to not spend too much time on the things you can't control and try and double down on the things you can. And there's you know, this is time. Time is always the the most invaluable resource. And as restaurant people, that's the resource that's always in slim, you know, slim, slim supply. And so I said, look, this is the time to dig deep and say, okay, all the things I wanted to do, but service got in the way, all the things I wanted to care for with my team, but service got in the way, or there just weren't enough hours in the day. Now you have 40 hours a week that you can really drive, you know, projects and trainings and education and development and let's dive deep into that. So that was our, that was our call. And we're, we're, you know, like I said, about a week and change into that sort of new world order. One of the things I love about your restaurants is there's, there's a mission attached to it to be kind to your neighbors and to literally, you know, feed the the disadvantaged ones. You donate um, 1% of top line sales to uh, an initiative called The Door. Who needs that 1%? I think you've you've donated yeah. almost fifty thousand um, dollars total so far. What what are they doing right now, and and what does the loss of those funds mean to them? Yeah, I mean, so we located the door our grantee through Robinhood. We've had a very deep relationship with Robinhood since day one. I've been involved with them for a number of years, and you know that's the other side of this is the communities that are the most vulnerable are also left without a sale, and Robinhood. Um, for the third time ever in their 30-year history, have um, reactivated their relief uh, board. So they did so in 9-11 and then again in Sandy, and they've reactivated it as of last Sunday. And that's their number one focus right now is figuring out how do you provide the services, the income, um, and the funding necessary for all of these grantees that are left without a sale. You know, the door can't be open right now. You can't have a school, you can't have a community center, you can't feed people in mass. Um, you know, you can't provide health services. They can't, you can't have gathering places. So it's, it's painful and it's really difficult. And at the moment, I don't think the how, what's the solution hasn't really been pinpointed, but I can tell you they are working round the clock. We are all on calls 24 seven. 
I have never worked harder in my entire life. I was saying to someone, we thought we had it rough in restaurants. I, you know, I'm sleeping less than I ever have. And I am working, you know, all of us, every person from Robin Hood, we've been on calls nonstop, does not matter the hour of the day. No days of the week even have, uh, have purpose right now. It's really just full court press to try and solve a lot of these challenges for these grantees, these organizations, and more importantly, you know, the vulnerable communities that they um, support. I mean, even World Central Kitchen, I spoke to them last week, you know, they do mass distribution and their community kitchen concept doesn't work with COVID. You can't have 20 people in a space pumping out food. You know, we all understand throughput. What do you do if you can only have a very small amount of people six feet apart producing food. You know, it's extraordinarily challenging. So World Central Kitchen too is trying to figure out they have to rethink their whole model and pilot something that hopefully can work to save New Yorkers and keep them fed. Again, Robin Hood's working hard on all those efforts. I mean, there there is a lot of programmatic and financial relief that is very complicated when you can't be together. Not that I, I ever really want machine-made food, but um, some World Central Kitchen sandwich robots would probably be a useful thing right now. You know, it's, it's again, but even think about picking them up. You right. know, again, you can't have people in mass going to pick up food. No. So, you know, I think you also asked why the government hasn't, um, you know, taken as strong of a stance as I think they could have. I think even that very element of how do you get food to people in a way that's decentralized? Because right now you can't say, hey, there are five nodes in the city. Everyone either does grocery shopping or you pick up meals here. Because, again, you can't have the densest city, one of the densest cities in America, all going towards distinct gathering places. So how do you decentralize that, which ironically is the opposite of what World Central Kitchen you know, it's sort of totally opposite their model, which right. is brutal. Right. So I believe out of, you know, out of adversity rises tremendous innovation. And I think this is pushing even nonprofits to be unbelievably creative and use every bit of ingenuity that they can to solve it. I think I've never before seen more people rise to the occasion for the greater good and be just relentless in how hard they're driving to get to something that will make an impact. And I I am forever the optimist and believe we will get there. Camilla, the show is called Takeaway Only. What is your big <laughs> takeaway having been through this nightmare of the last week and a half? That we are all human. And I think more than ever, it is it is brutal, but it has been such a powerful unifying element for each of us to realize how much we have the same, regardless of what we think. You know, even this week, so much of what restaurateurs are talking about are their suppliers. I'm personally friends with every single person we purchase from. We socialize, we go on double dates, we know each other's kids. You know, writing to them and saying, hey, we are shut down and we can't purchase right now was the hardest emails I've ever had to write. And to realize that, you know, it's not just you. Every person is hurting. Every person is suffering from this. And we are all also deeply missing connection and touch and being together. And I think that's the base. We are all human. And I think this is a big wake-up call that we have much more in common um, regardless than we ever imagined. Camilla Marcus, thank you so much for your time and your work. I'm really proud to know you. 
ditto. Thank you for doing this. We need these voices big time. Thank you, Camilla. That was Camilla Marcus. You can follow her on Instagram at Camilla.Marcus. Follow Roar on Instagram at Roar.NY and sign up for important news and updates from the Independent Restaurant Coalition at www.saverestaurants.co. We're back tomorrow with Nick Kakonis from Alinea and Talk. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, for Freetime Media. Our logo was created by Reynald Philippe at Beepoles, music by John Palmer, special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, Raphael Weil, and Will Gadara, Brian Canlis, Anthony Rudolph, and Aaron Ginsberg at Welcome. Check out their important community-building work at welcomeconference.org. We're back tomorrow. This is Takeaway Only.